From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewenberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 headquarters. Josh Lewenberg, he's Dwayne Watson. I'm Megan McPeak. And we, we, we don't really, I mean, we talk about numbers all the time, but we don't talk about it the way some people really delve into it. And we get to, because we get to talk analytics, to an analytics guy who understands the BPI, the net ratings, the plus minuses, and what it all compiles down to when we see articles written that reference all these numbers and I mean, in my opinion, to me, when I look at these types of things, it looks like I'm trying to read calculus homework from someone that I never took calculus class. So that is why we have ESPN Analytics' Neil Johnson joining us on the line. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time. My pleasure. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. And Neil, you wrote an article uh, about a week ago and referenced you know, the Eastern Conference and where teams are sitting and you specifically touched on the Pistons, the Wizards and the Raptors and you said the Raptors are one of those teams that people should be keeping an eye on to contend in the East and the numbers projected at that time that they would finish 56 win team with just finishing fourth behind Golden State, Boston Celtics and the Houston Rockets. When you look at the numbers now, are they still projecting the same 56 win team finishing fourth overall? And what does your eye test actually tell you? Yeah, so they've actually stayed there in that fourth spot right behind the Warriors, the Rockets and the Celtics. Um, And it still projects them to be 56 wins, which is also, uh, you know, fourth best overall in the league. Um, and just looking at, you know, the eye test, you just see that they're, you know, there's a lot of good shot making going on and they're taking really good shots. Neil, uh, here in Toronto, so much of the talk going into the season was about the offensive changes that the Raptors were trying to implement. Now, going back to that eye test, it certainly, it certainly shows that they've taken some steps in that direction here 21 games in. Uh, what do the numbers say are the biggest differences in the way this team is playing offensively this season from years past? So we have a number called Quantified Shooter Impact. It's a number uh, Second Spectrum uh, generates. It looks at all of the shots on the court and evaluates how well a player is uh, making the shots versus an average player. And Toronto is in the top five for that this year. That's something that wasn't necessarily the case last year. So they're not only taking good shots, but they're actually making them at a good clip. You know, it's like versus like projecting or assuming what they're going to do. It's like they're, the results are actually good. And that, you know, makes sense. Now, I know some hardcore Toronto fans would be not surprised by your fan findings, but were you in terms of like actually doing the data and seeing the numbers and realizing how, how well Toronto's projected to do, were you surprised by your findings? Um, I mean, at first I was definitely a little bit surprised. Um, Toronto's always been, you know, the last few years, obviously they've always been near the top of the East. So once I kind of dived into it and kind of got an understanding of everything, I wasn't too surprised. Um, one thing to note is for the whole season, they, Toronto has the second easiest 
uh, strength of schedule in terms of refactoring who you're playing, um, how much you're traveling, how many days of rest you have in between games. They have the second easiest schedule of behind the Warriors. Neil, the one team that the Raptors always have to contend with and have had to the past three or four seasons now is when it comes to the East, the East always runs through Cleveland, Ohio. I When I was reading mm-hmm. your article, I was shocked. I mean, in the first part, you mentioned the Celtics have probably the best chance at contending and coming out of the East versus Cleveland. But then when you looked at and you mentioned the projected wins of 56 for the Raptors, fourth best in the league, where, when you look at the numbers, where was Cleveland sitting if they're not top four? Um, well, at the time of the article, they were fairly out of the conversation, but they've, they've been on a good streak right now. I forget off the top of my head how long their winning streak is going, but that's certainly helped. Um, in terms of, you know, finals predictions, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but they're right behind. Um, yeah, here they are. So they're, they're right behind Toronto in the East. Um, we have Toronto right now as a 32% chance to make it to the finals, and the Cavs only at a 6.8% chance. Now, something that's always kind of hard to do with modeling is you're assuming, you know, you're assuming all of the, the teams and the players are always trying to win and always giving it their best all the time. Um, and with Cleveland and with LeBron, you know, LeBron understands the regular, you know, they could be whatever season in the playoffs. They just need to be healthy and ready to go. And then on top of that, they have, you know, players like Derrick Rose who's taking some time off. It's something that you can't account for. So, you know, 6.8% chance for the Cavs to make the finals probably seems a little bit low, and I would say it is slightly a little bit low. But um, I would say Toronto and uh, Boston are definitely in the driver's seat. All right, Neil, we appreciate you taking some time, and we appreciate a little bit more insight into what the analytics say and how you guys figure these numbers out and putting them together when it comes to the entire season because it's something that we don't always look at. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys bringing me on. Thanks again, Neil. All right. Once again, ESPN Analytics' Neil Johnson joining us to break it down and I'm not going to lie. I understand it a little bit better, but I still feel like I just took a calculus class. Raptors fans are going to be happy to know that they're a 32% chance to make the finals and Cleveland's a 6%. 6.8. Cleveland's coming, man. Prior to the 10-game win streak. not a secret. I mean, yeah, I mean, that 10-game, this is a team that we thought was done and dead for. I mean, Derek Rose taking time off, Isaiah Thomas not back, um, and now they've got a 10-game win streak. Well, as we said, this... Cavs team could be in some trouble unless LeBron James plays out of his mind. As it turns out, LeBron James is playing out of his mind. And as a result, the Cavs are right there in that conversation now with the Raptors and with the Celtics. Is it sustainable? Uh, For most players, I would say no. For LeBron, even now on the wrong end of 30, he's done it before. There's no reason to believe he can't do it again throughout the course of a full season and then into the playoffs. And as long as LeBron is healthy and as long as LeBron is dominating the way that he has been, uh, the, the Cavs are still, in my opinion, when it comes down to it in the springtime, the team to beat. And through right now a quarter of the season, LeBron is without question 
my NBA MVP. And second on that list is probably his old buddy, Kyrie Irving. I think the thing is, I don't think it's a surprise. We know what level LeBron can play at and what he can do. Um, The expectation isn't for him to do it in November. And that's the concern when you mentioned is it sustainable because you can't have LeBron James logging logging like 36, 37 minutes a game um, because he's a guy who likes to be rested for the playoffs and have a balance of guys who can play off to do that. So we know they could turn it up when necessary, but can they turn it up if LeBron is carrying them literally for most of the season into the playoffs. He led the league in minutes last year, but that's a little bit misleading because, of course, that's minutes per game. And he did, to your point, Dwayne, get a number of games off, especially later in the season now. The NBA has made certain changes to space the schedule out a little bit and therefore uh, give players a little bit more rest, but it will be interesting to see how Ty Lue manages his rotation and specifically manages LeBron's minutes later in the season, understanding, of course, that for them more than anyone else, maybe outside of the Warriors, it's about June, not about whatever. November 29th through December 1st. (laughs) Uh, what What is surprising about what LeBron's doing right now is the fact that this is year, what, 15 for him? And he, in my opinion, it's hard to name another player that has played in their prime or better for this consistent amount of time. Over over a 15-year showing, stretch. Showing no signs showing of no, like, And we have to remember that, sorry, all these, like, what, seven of those seasons are to the finals, like, like the playoff games, the Olympics, like, there's a lot yeah, of there's, minute, there's a lot of mileage on that body. Right, like, I mean, like, I can't think of another NBA player that has done this. In their like played this long in their prime for this consistent amount of time at a high level, at a high level even with adding the extra mileage as you mentioned, Dwayne, the Olympics, you know, the deep worlds, the deep run to the playoffs because that this past year was what the eighth straight time he's gone to the NBA Finals, and he does it playing thirty five plus minutes a night through the regular season, and then on top of that in the playoffs. It like it, it blows my mind that he's able to do this. Well, Michael <laughs> Jordan took a year off in there, right? To play <laughs> exactly. some baseball. Kobe, there was a suspension in there, yeah. right? And he's Kobe had some injuries too, where he missed games and whatnot. But you know, I think you know LeBron James is driven to be one of the greatest greatest of all time, and you have to do stuff like we're talking about to be in that conversation. And I think now he is in the Michael Jordan conversation, which is something that maybe a couple years ago you'd be like, right? He's not in the conversation, but. You have to take into account what he's done on the floor uh, as an athlete. And, you know, the arguments have been made versus, like, I think a story came up recently about efficiency versus Jordan versus James, and LeBron was winning that category. But people still tend to measure it by rings. Which I get it, but at the same time, you you also got to go on the eye test. Here's where I stand, and I've said this before. I think LeBron James is the most talented physically gifted player in NBA history. I still think Michael Jordan is the best player in NBA history, and I believe, yes, there is a difference between those things, and it comes down, I think, to to winning and, and everything that Michael Jordan I feel like we're slowly entering into a debate over this. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean... But- Killer instinct. And not to say that LeBron doesn't have it, but, Le- but MJ had it to a different, otherworldly level. So, let me... Okay. So, so what... I'm going to stop you because <laughs> okay, I'm, right. I'm up against it. Okay, cool. Hold your thought. We'll contest it because Josh put up the shot. We'll contest that shot on the other side. Keep it locked right here. Dwayne debates. Josh, I always love these episodes. Keep it locked right here. 
It's time for Home Court Contested Shots on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 studios. Meg McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lundberg. All right, you gentlemen were in a heat. It was getting, it was getting heated. Was it? I felt yeah, like I felt like the I felt heat coming from that side of go the to table. Blows? You know, I, I feel like we just got sent back to our corners. You know what I mean? It did. So like the, the, the bell. I, down a you know, I re- I'm the judge. I'm the referee. I rang the bell. Back to your Who corners. Who won round one? Um, well, I would give it to Josh. Yeah, because I w- you got more shots, and I was about to, I was about to come with my flurry, but you know, I got you got a lot more body shots, and then you had you had one solid shot to like the the jaw with a left. Like hook. I'm not sure I could so. reach his jaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't underestimate yourself. Height so, doesn't measure heart. Um, yeah, the last that. thing we talked about, you talked about um, Jordan's killer instinct, which is uncom- incomparable. Yes. Um, a player who tried to kind of like come with a similar killer instinct is, is Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you think Kobe Bryant stands higher than LeBron James in the basketball pantheon? No. Okay. So, so he didn't. He didn't. Ah, <laughs> he didn't win at that level. He didn't well, well, were, as, as much or at that level. Too, he won there, at that there level. There are too many. Kobe's game is obviously a much better version, an elite version of some of the things that Demar Derozan has done, and that type of game is polarizing. I mean, obviously, he did a lot of things Kobe did really well, right? But there were a lot of holes in his game. The question was always. Was he making other guys better? And I don't think that was ever a question with Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan, I don't think, makes guys better to the degree that LeBron does. And that's why I say LeBron, as an all-around player athlete, his his body, his, his physical stature, I think he's a better athlete, more talented than Jordan was. But what were the holes in Michael Jordan's game? I think that question can very easily be answered in regards to Kobe Bryant. In regards to Michael Jordan, probably not. I think the the knock against LeBron when he came to the league, and even to this day, is that he doesn't have he lacks the killer instinct that Mike does. He doesn't want to always be the guy to take that shot, but that goes to him making his teammates better. I think he looks he's definitely a more complete player. I'm not saying that, you know Jordan he's not better is a better player, but he's definitely a more complete player. And it depends how you look at it. I think I brought Kobe analogy because championships is always something that comes to question, and obviously Kobe has the championships. But it's also interesting that Kobe is not part of this conversation anymore. Like it's Michael and LeBron now, and Kobe's not in there. I'm not saying that obviously LeBron is better than, than Michael Jordan because he's not yet, but I definitely think when all of a sudden that he has a chance to, to possibly be. Like I said, I, I think, well, first of all, LeBron is so unique, not just in this conversation, but in NBA history in right. terms of the type of player, the type of body that he, that he has. Um, so in terms of we're categorizing this, absolutely, Kobe Bryant would be in the Michael Jordan category and... He modeled his game after MJ, so that would make sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just don't think Kobe is anywhere close to as good as MJ was, so he he doesn't compete in terms of best player ever, and then he doesn't have that physical um, ability that LeBron has, so he doesn't... He doesn't... I, I, stand up in that most physically gifted player of all time. I brought up Kobe's conversation. Example, so I agree with you. Um, but 
I, I noticed a lot of what you refer to LeBron, you're referring to his body as opposed to like his body of work or his game. I mean, he's he hasn't won all the times, but he's been to the finals consistently. And I think I don't think he has enough credit for that in terms of like, oh well, he, you know, every time Jordan went, he won. But who who's done it? What eight years in a row? Seven yes. years in a row? This could be the ninth. That's impressive in, in a fifteen year career. And and you know with 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 stars or without stars he's done and I think that's significant. It's Let tough me, to compare. No, sorry, go ahead, Meg. I, I was gonna I was gonna throw a wrinkle. So fin- finish your point, and then I'll throw a wrinkle into the conversation. I was just gonna say it's always so tough to compare eras and what ultimately both of these guys were up against. Michael Jordan played against some great teams yeah. in the Western Conference in the East as well, um, facing off against the Jazz as much as they did uh, those Houston teams. Seattle. Piston team. The Pistons. You can go on, and and those were great teams, but were any of them as good as the Warriors team that has stood in LeBron's way? Even the Spurs teams that stood in LeBron's way when he was in Miami. So Dallas. that's something, I mean, it, it's tough because if LeBron was playing in a different era, if there wasn't a historically great team in his way, right. would he have more championships right now? And if he had more championships, would we give him more right. consideration in the conversation for best player of all time? It's hard to say, but I would still lean on the fact that, I mean, Jordan wasn't going up against lightweights. Those were Agreed. still great teams. Agreed. And it's still impossibly difficult to win at the level and the consistency that he did during his time in an era that was still really, really good. So let me throw this wrinkle. Putting, because everybody, you know, culture. That's the one thing that people said Michael didn't do well. He didn't speak out until recently, actually. When he was playing, like he... Social issues. Yeah, social issues, social justice, everything that we see that, you know, people want to tell us, and there's probably somebody who's listening right now that's going to tell me to stick to sports. Guess what? Sports and politics are now one in one because people in politics decided to bring it into sports. So leave it alone. But that's the one knock that MJ had was he didn't speak out, and people at that time wanted him to speak out during that era. LeBron has always spoken out about social injustice and whatever it may be, he always has had a voice. When you look at the culture of the end, of, of not even the NBA, just basketball as a culture, put aside sneakers, because in my opinion, Jordan takes the cake on that one. That's not even an argument. Who do you think has the biggest impact on the culture of basketball? MJ or LeBron? I think I, think I know where you're going. Um, I think... Bas- sneakers is a big part of basketball culture, right. but you also talked about the culture beyond basketball and mm-hmm. social issues. And I think, um, obviously, yeah, we're taking sneakers out of it, so forget that conversation. But, you know, you look at for, in terms of social issues, and I think LeBron has been spoken for a while. I think now, like the last few years, we've been in an era where it's it's acceptable for athletes to speak up. Because before, it wasn't really. Everyone was concerned about their endorsements, right. as MJ was. Um, he could have been a voice based on the fact that he is the greatest player of all time, and we're talking about that. Um, but I like the fact that LeBron hasn't shied away. Even going back to like, you know, the the Miami Heat with the with the hoodies and when um yeah you know with, oh, I forgot his name um the boy who was uh, Trayvon Martin Trayvon Martin thank you like back then speaking out so I think I think it's important because I think now especially the media are asking these players for their thoughts on what's happening in society right and that's how it comes that how that's how it gets in the conversation where athletes speak out on social issues and I think it's important for them to have that voice because there are people who look up to them so. Um, if we're looking at that level, I think you know LeBron wins that battle in terms of like who's a social advocate more than MJ. And yeah. at the end of the day, they're humans. 
Like, just because they're athletes doesn't mean they can't have an opinion on what's going on. Well, I think that's the biggest difference is what made Jordan such a tr- like incredible influence on basketball culture and really just like on in general the influence that he had around the world, his global brand. It was that he was larger than than life. It was. I'm not sure that you could identify with MJ as much as a human because he didn't speak out. He did it with his play on the court. It, that's what made him um, such a hero for so many people. And I do think his brand, I, I'm not even just specifically to sneakers, but the right. Nike brand, which is associated so closely with Jordan and right. just in general, I think that was more recognizable than LeBron's is now. But to identify with them as a human, I, I think LeBron has the edge there just because of the fact that he has transcended sports more than MJ did. But further what you said when you say brand, I think of also the Gatorade Be Like Mike campaign, which yeah. is so big yep. and so... So massive, it's coming that kind back of built too. up the yeah, and it built up the ethos of Michael Jordan. So it's almost like Jordan was the the biggest entity, and LeBron is the biggest human. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, it, it, he's a I big mean, human. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I mean, is. when it comes down to it, you can almost it's the it's the same conversation of the chicken or the egg, which came first. Because if if Michael wasn't Michael, would LeBron be able to be LeBron? You know what I mean? Like it's almost that kind of they kind of coincide with each other. But it's a debate that until. LeBron retires and is in the Hall of Fame. It's gonna. Con- I mean, it'll even continue on past the day that he goes into the Hall of Fame. Megan, he's not retiring. I know he's not. He's, he's gonna not. play till he's eighty. We continue on though. When we get back, we will be joined in studio by Humber Women's Basketball Head Coach AJ Sharma, along with the all-time leader in scoring for the Women's Humber Hawks, AJ- CJ. Excuse me, No Fuente. Keep it locked right here. We go to the OCAA. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, we're joined in studio now by Humber Women's Basketball Team Head Coach, AJ Sharma, along with the women's all-time leading scorer, CJ Nofuente. And if you don't know, now you do know. So January last year, CJ, I'm going to throw this at you before we even get into the streak and whatnot. But last year in January, you hit a shot and officially take reign after 15 years. It took 15 years for the streak to finally be broken, and you are the all-time leading scorer, and then some because you're still playing currently. Just sort of talk about the mindset of what you've been able to do in your career to be able to just play the way you play night in and night out. Um, I can't do it without my team, especially my coaches. Uh, If they don't give me the leeway and just being basically a coach on the court and my teammates finding me the ball as well as me finding them the ball, the game just comes easier than it than it really does especially when you have players that run the floor or you have girls open off the drive easy kick out for a three uh three that we practice uh, that we take and practice probably like almost a hundred times uh a day so it just makes the game run smoother and 
just makes it come easier to me. I'm glad we got that out of the way. The you know team, the team stuff, all that. Great yeah, stuff the because, humbleness. Because if you're if you're the leading scorer of all time, it doesn't happen by like just team. Like there's individual play on your part that's got to get you buckets. Whether it's you, you know, knowing to take the ball, not take the ball. So, so what is it about that? The mentality, the score mentality that you have. I know you're not only a scorer. I don't want to paint you in that picture because I know you, you definitely look up for your teammates. But if you're the leading scorer, it's not happening by accident. Uh. A lot of it is being more consistent, uh, taking better shots. I know I take the three a lot, but at the same time, get going to the basket, getting contact, getting those and ones, making my free throws, just settling for for shots that I know are, I could take and make. Uh, and instead of, you know, shot clocks running down, taking that last second shot, but also just getting in the paint where it's easier to score, just finding my finding my touch basically. The coach, what's the what's the scouting report on CJ? What do you think opposing team scouting report is on CJ? I mean, what we've seen so far is that teams try to be really physical with her uh, before she uses a screen, before she catches the ball, and so <clears throat> we're building in strategies with her in practice and giving her little pointers on how to turn that against them. And and she's pretty savvy; like she knows how to, you know, get into the body of a, a defender push them into the screen and then time it properly so that she can get open for a catch. And once she has a catch and a little bit of separation, it's it's a pretty tough situation to be in if you're a defender. She this summer you obviously part of Canada basketball and the development team and just as a coach, AJ, knowing that you're putting these women in positions to not just play as part of Canada basketball, but go on past their college careers, whether it's overseas playing in Europe or, you know, down south in South America or even in the WNBA, what is it about you and your mindset and the coaching staff that you know you're putting them in the best possible position to continue playing? I think when um, I took over the job, one of the, the main cornerstones of our program had to be that we had to think big. And part of you know winning OCAA championships and streaks and scoring records and was taking care of our players and having them think big in their lives. Whether it's on the basketball court, like for CJ, she's got a future playing after us. But, you know, we've got girls that have graduated and we've encouraged them to think big in different forms of industries and uh, connected to their school studies. So it's it's really about thinking big. And it's, you know, we try to travel across the world and play in different countries and that sort of thing. So. Uh, and further that thinking big, like, I mean, obviously the OCAA success is big, but, you know, we have a former National Coach of the Year, former player, National Player of the Year, so mm-hmm. they're not just OCAA stars, they're the top. I'm uh, trying I'm trying not to go heavy oh, okay, alumni okay, okay, good. hype I like I, I mean, did before, so facts. I'm trying to, I'm hey, trying to keep it down. Hey, National Coach of the Year, National Player of the Year here, so it's not like it's just, you know, OCAA stars here. No, and, and it's true, and AJ, you mentioned the streak, and this past week you guys hit the OCAA streak, 67 straight wins. And it can continue on, but I know I I if I know you, AJ, I know that that streak. Yeah, it's great, cool, but I I care about what I'm winning at the end of the season. For sure. I mean, we <laughs> so it's 68, 67 tied it, 68 put us over the top. Put us up, okay. Um, but yes, the streak is fine and it's great and it's a milestone and we celebrated it. Uh, but it's really about playing on the last day of this season playing in the last game of the season and, and being being the best team in the country. That's what we're after. So let's talk about streaks. <clears throat> you guys had a streak last year, right? 
Um, baby? <laughs> baby? <laughs> yeah? No? <clears throat> was there a streak last year? A winning streak? We were undefeated up until nationals, if that's what you right. mean. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yes. So... So what happens, obviously that's a learning lesson for you guys, like going, having an undefeated season, and then obviously you know, at, the end, at the end of the season, it got snapped in an untimely manner. So what is the focus now? What do your approach take with, with your team, knowing that, like, hey, we could run the table for a while, but how do yeah. you keep them ready for when it really matters? So um, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. We're, we're about to play our last game for the first semester, and then I've already reached out to our coaches who are super dedicated, and talked about sitting together, brainstorming things that we think can hurt us, things that we think can beat us, and really checking off those things and answering those questions and having things ready for that so that, like you said, we don't run into a situation where we're in the first games at Nationals and we're, you know, we're struggling. We, we want to be invincible, and that's always our goal, and we practice like we want to be invincible. CJ, how was that for you last year, obviously, because you, know, you being the the big player, keep playing the team and knowing that kind of you guys were unable to kind of get it done when you needed to? Um, a lot happens in practice. Uh, the way we compete against each other, uh, just, uh, situation, just situational games when we're down with a minute left by four, how do we get a quick basket with a stop and then score again? So AJ puts us in uh, situations where it's gonna, it comes down to uh, to the wire and it's like, what do we need to do? And one team has to win, one team has to lose, and it comes down to who wants it more, who wants to fight, who wants to compete for it, and who puts everything on the line. How do you as a player going through that situation? Because, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating. It, like, for lack of a better word, that would, if it was me, that would piss me off. You fight all this time to run the table and you can't get it done when it counts most. How as a player and as a leader of the team do you refocus the group knowing that you know what, okay, new season, it's reset same goal, but it's not going to end up the same way. Like I said it everything happens in practice we compete against the best since we think and we know we are the best in Canada so we know no one else can beat us except unless we beat ourselves and that then again in practice if we're going to lose, we're going to lose to each other. We're not going to lose to another team in the OCAA or somewhere else. So we take pride in losing against each other in practice. Although it's a battle, we still know that we lost against the best. So let me take that a step further because I know, obviously, I've seen your practices in like the level, and you guys are a solid team. I mean, 10-0, 967 points for, 415 against. So you guys don't get challenged when you play teams with other uniforms. But knowing that, like, you guys, like, so how does that, when you say we're the best team, when we play each other, we're our best competition, how does it, you don't get in situations where you're down four and a quarter by the looks of what I'm seeing, and I'm sure. So how is it for you guys in terms of, like, when it happens? Because it's almost like it's not the Humber Hawks we're playing against. We're playing against Algonquin, um, you know, another college. And you're in that situation because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, um, we'd like to think that the things that we do in practice and the intensity that we do it at is going to prepare us, not just for somebody in the OCAA, somebody at the CCAA level, uh, but, you know, if we were to go play, like we're going to Florida to play three junior colleges, right. we think, we'd like to think that we're going to be ready to compete in every single one of those games and have a chance to win it. Because the one thing that these girls do, and I go back to nationals where we did lose that game, we also picked ourselves off the mat 
and marched through the tournament and won a bronze uh, pretty convincingly. Like, we didn't have a close game after that. So we played true to form. And, and the one thing that these girls do, and she does it every day, and her teammates do it every day, and they really drive the ship because in practices, our coaches kind of pull back and, you know, they're running the huddles, they're running the last second plays, the strategies on how to beat each other, is they fight. They always fight. And we know that we're going to get us in a situation of we can fight and we've got a pretty good game plan against you, we're going to be in the game against you. So, obviously, I mean, I know there's only two seats here, not everyone could be here, but, like, uh, who else want to show on your team that obviously puts in work? Because I know it's not, obviously, as you're quick to say, it's not a one-person show. <laughs> I, can't, I can't name You can't name everyone. Can't I, I can name everyone, but it's not just one person. So... Do I shout out? I don't know. Else? If you want to shout out the entire roster, listening. by so all means, say, go. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, we got our fifth-year players. So me, Alina, Beryl, Steph. Uh, is that it? All our fifth years? Fifth years yeah. All right. And then we have our rookies that came in. Makiba, Brittany, Jamie, um, Teresa. She came down with an injury uh, this year. Um, and then we have some transfers, so um, Janae, Ebony, Laura, uh, Laura. Um, who else? And then we have Felicia. She won a national championship with us. Yeah. We have Chanel and Leticia, yeah. Anna. It's a lot. And that's about it. Alina is her kind of. She came in with CJ, and they played club ball together. Alina's uh, CJ. Just scored her thousandth point a couple weeks ago, uh, and Alina is pretty close to that milestone as well. So for us to have two thousand point yeah. scores in the same sort of generation of players is we're pretty blessed, and uh, it shows in the W column. We want to thank Coach Sharma and obviously CJ Nofuente for joining us. Keep it locked. We continue on. We'll talk more NBA. We'll talk a little bit more Raptors. We might even talk a little bit more Chris Bosh on the other side. Keep it locked. TSN 1050's home court. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 headquarters. Josh Lewenberg, Dwayne Watson, Meg McPeak. As we go around the league with some hot topics and outside of the fact the Cavaliers have rang off 10 straight and going for 11 and 12 coming up. They're good again. They're they're good again, but another hot topic and I imagine that Steve Jabby and the rest of the officials union are not happy that they're once again in the media for ejections. Three huge ejections this week. LeBron James, which actually was in I mean, it's a weird milestone, but it was a milestone because it was his very first career ejection and off of a very quick one technical. And then follows it up with Anthony Davis getting tossed, which was, I've never seen Anthony Davis that angry. And when Boogie Cousins is the voice of reasons, you know that there's an issue there. And then as well to KD also ejected. Gentlemen, I ask you, are the officials... And I mean, you know, an official is probably going to be listening to this and be like, oh, Megan talking about us again. We're not, we don't like the spotlight. <laughs> but it, it just seems like they're 
injecting themselves a lot more into the conversation or are they just trying to send a message and take control of every game and this is this is the one way that they actually have true control to send a message and if you're going to come at me the wrong way and sideways whether I'm in my feelings or not I'm going to take you're going to the showers early we probably could have seen a couple ejections in the Raptors game last night. They showed yeah. some pretty impressive restraint because the officiating was atrocious. Agreed. And clearly they were getting on the Raptors' nerves. Lowry ended up picking up that technical. Dwayne Casey, I thought, was going to get one at one point. And Fred Van Vliet joking after the game that he was even thinking about maybe if they were up by a few more points, really giving the officials a piece of his mind because he was getting... Hammered. Hammered, and he, beaten up. He does get hammered through. a lot as well, too, and well, doesn't get calls. That's the, the officials say there's no preferential treatment, but hey, look at Jakob Pertl as a good example. Uh, he got called for everything yep. last mm-hmm. year. He was picking up a foul every like 30 seconds. He led the NBA in, in fouls. fouls per minute last year, <laughs> and this year, now that he's actually given a little bit more of a leash, we're seeing how good he is. Now, Fred Van Vliet has been awesome, but he's doing it without the benefit of any calls from the official. And remember, he takes a lot of contact. He's not exactly a wallflower out there yep. playing on the perimeter. He is like Lowry driving to the rim, playing amongst the trees, um, playing through a lot of contact, but one of the reasons why I love these Van Vliet quotes that we're getting, smart, honest, always witty, he said yesterday, hey, I'm just getting used to this playing in the fourth quarter thing. I'm not in any kind of place to be picking up fourth quarter technicals. But yeah, I mean, the officials, at least for the Raptors, have not been um, in... They've been in the good news. They've been in the news, but not for good reasons. Of mm-hmm. late, we saw those two calls against Lance Stevenson that they missed, admitted to missing in Indiana, and then against the Pacers again last night, uh, a really bad and inconsistent whistle that got on a lot of people's nerves. Well, you know, you mentioned preferential treatment, and we know that the NBA has the officials have preferential treatment for the stars. The good guys can get the calls. The, the newer guys like Fred and Pearl aren't going to get the calls. When I saw LeBron James get ejected. That's what he normally does. He complains about a lot of calls. Yeah. So him like saying get that call and making that motion isn't out of the ordinary, I feel, for LeBron James. And they usually don't even call a technical. So fine. Did he zero technical? Yeah, definitely. Did he do the injection? I don't think so. So now it's like you have them, unless they're trying to like mandate where they got, they're not going to take any mess anymore. But usually at the beginning of the season, they say, hey, we're not going to tolerate this talk. Right. So you know, and then guys get the quick tease and it's, it's understood. I didn't see that memo, but I'm seeing it now, and it's kind of weird that it's creeping up where a lot of star players are getting thrown out of the game. When it yeah. comes to officials, sorry, Megan, when it comes yeah. to officials, I, like the most important thing is always consistency. Yeah. And when there's not that consistency, that's when there's a frustration. So, yeah, there needs to be consistency when it comes to on-court calls so players know, I mean, physically yeah. what they can get away right. with, what they can't get away with. But even in terms of the technicals, I don't think anyone understands right now what they can say, right. how far they can go, and, and what they can't and shouldn't say. We saw it with Kyle Lowry against Washington earlier this season where he thought, okay, well, he picked up a tech. He thought that he was just kind of finishing up that conversation that earned him that first technical, and before he knew it, he was tossed in a similar situation that we've seen now a few times this week where guys just don't know how much they can push the envelope. And that was something, and I only mention it just because I heard him um, earlier this week talking about it, and it was Steve Steve Jabby. And Steve Jabby and Joy Crawford, in my opinion, were the two officials that going into games, guys knew 
I'm not even going to try my luck with them because I'm going to be in the showers really quick. But they had that reputation, not in a negative way. They just had the reputation that I'm not taking crap from you guys. I'm going to let you say your piece. But once you cross that line, it's you're, you're gone. And guys knew that. Guys knew it going into games with them. And they always, you know, there was always those conversations. We always, you know, chatted. You always see it on Twitter when Joy Crawford was doing a game. You knew it was coming. But it's, it, it, I think, and it kind of goes to what you guys were saying. The sentiment is the inconsistency. And that's yeah. the biggest frustration that players and coaches, I think, deal with. Cause it's like, well, you gave that guy the same pushing foul like two plays ago. And then he two hands my guy in the back, but you don't give it to him. So what's going on here? Well, I don't, I don't even want to make it sound like it, they're against the Raptors, no. anti-Raptor, because a good example of that inconsistency is the next night after Lowry, or the next game after Lowry gets tossed against Washington, DeMar DeRozan is just berating an official in the fourth quarter, didn't even get a tech for that, and he did more to deserve an ejection, yeah. let alone a tech, than Lowry did the night before. And to your point, Megan, that, that's a good one that you make there with the veteran officials, a lot of whom have now retired. Mm-hmm. You knew what to expect, whereas there's still a feeling out process with these younger officials, and there are a lot of younger officials yeah. in yeah. the league yeah. right now. On the other side, though, David Fisdale, we, we, this is our first chance to talk about it since it happened. He, in my opinion, unwarrantedly was fired from the Memphis job, and Marc Gasol, unfortunately, had a hand in that. And do you, I think he's a good enough coach that he's going to land on his feet somewhere, it just depends on where, because I don't see... like is there, is there anywhere else that you see a hot seat going on right now? I mean, NBA coaches haven't been like, going in a while. Like, we had a long string where a lot of guys have kept jobs. But my concern with the Memphis situation is, like, where are they trying to go as a franchise? Because right. to me, it's like, you know, they got... like Zach is gone, Tony Allen's gone, Vince is gone. And they've got a lot of vets. Like, Conley's been battered up, whatever, and Gasol. But to me, I see them as a team... With a young guy like Fisdale, like looking to the future, right? Um, there's also rumors about Marcus all being traded. I won't say to where, but I mean, so thinking that this team is moving forward, so the fact they get rid of him. That means they're committed to Conley and Gasol, and, and that's the right move as a franchise. It was surprising in that I, I don't think anybody knew the extent in which there was an issue between the player and the coach, and, and Fisdale was recently hired there and is a well-regarded coach in the NBA. That said, and we know this, if there's ever a, an issue between player and coach that the organization feels is non-repairable, uh, unrepairable, the player is going to win that battle right. 99 times out of 100, and that's probably what that situation was. We wish Coach Fisdale well Do remember next week we don't have a home court episode as TFC pregame special will be airing. Keep your radios locked as the Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro show coming up next.